Well, hello friends. It's a privilege to be opening the Bible with you again today. Today we begin our annual ministry commitment process. It goes from today till the 1st of November. Uh, you'll, receive, you'll receive some information about this via email, so please keep your eye out for that. Uh, each year, this time of the year, our overseers uh, ask us, our church, to sit down as individuals and as families uh, and think about our giving, our um, committed giving to the ministry of our church for the following year, and that's so that's for 2021. The New Testament teaches us that our commitment to giving is not a matter of compulsion. You know, being told to give by our leaders, so we give begrudgingly. Now, Christian giving is the fruit of the grace of God in our lives. It's a real and tangible outcome of our salvation as we realise the great cost of our redemption and the generosity of God. Now, Philippians is a great part of the Bible to encourage us in giving because it teaches us that our generosity grows out of an active partnership in the gospel. Paul wrote the letter of Philippians from prison in Rome. He wrote it because the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus all the way. It's about 1,300 kilometres from Philippi to Rome with their gifts, the gifts from the church. And in chapter 4, Paul gets really specific about thanking them. The whole letter really is, uh, it begins with thanks, but in chapter 4, Paul gets specific and thanks them for their giving. But as he thanks them, he also teaches them and he teaches us uh, about Christian giving. I think he, he teaches us three things. He teaches us about the gospel partnership of giving. He teaches us about the paradoxes that are part of Christian giving and God's provision for our giving. I just want to think those through those three things. So first, the gospel partnership of giving. You know, one of my sons is a great giver of gifts. He actually makes the gifts he gives, not all of them, but um, he's made his wife two gifts. I had a bit of a hand in that. And he made uh, this gift for me. Um, it looks a bit obscure, but it's actually a really clever puzzle. Now, the point of this is, is that it's unmistakable, really, that when someone goes to the trouble of making a gift for you, you know it's coming from the heart. Well, I think that's Paul's point about gospel giving. See, it springs out of a genuine, heartfelt, uh, committed partnership. Verse 10 says that they were in fact concerned about Paul, but they lacked the opportunity to show it. Paul's saying, you guys were ready and waiting to support me, but probably didn't even know my circumstances. But as soon as you learned that I was in prison, you put together your gifts, you sent Epaphroditus off to Rome with them to me. So the gifts of the Philippians were not because Paul had been badgering them, not a result of the five-week sermon series on giving. Now, verse 14, Paul says that they partnered with him in his hardship. Your translation might say share instead of partner. The, words, the word comes from the Greek word koinonia, which is often translated as fellowship. 
I, I don't know about you, but I grew up actually hearing that word koinonia. Um, it was kind of like an insider word for fellowship. But unfortunately, that was the idea of fellowship that I grew up with. A really introverted inside of you. It was just about us. It was cosy Christian friendship. I've got to say, often accompanied with bad coffee and lukewarm finger food, but it was all inward looking. But in Philippians, koinonia is robust. It's not quiet. It's not internal. It's not passive. It's not, not even private. No, it's an active participation uh, in its a long-term commitment to the vital proclamation of the gospel, the ministry of the gospel, whether that be in prison in Rome or in the streets of Philippi. In chapter 1, Paul describes it as standing firm in one spirit with one mind and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's Philippian fellowship, partnership. This theme of partnership is a major, it's kind of the thread that goes through the letter. Just flip back um, to chapter 1, verses 4 to 5. Paul says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. And what's he thankful for? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. These Philippian believers Brand spanking new Christians right from day one entered into a gospel partnership with Paul. Let's read on because we learn something really important about gospel partnership. Verse 6. I'm sure of this, Paul writes, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on till the day of completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace. You see what Paul's saying? He's saying that when we become a Christian, we begin, uh, God begins that good work, that regenerating work in us, that, and we become partners in grace. Grace actually means gift, and so this partnership of grace becomes uh, in the believer's life, a partnership of giving and receiving. Do you see, if you're a Christian, you're a partner in the gospel, a partner with God, a partner with me, with one another in our church. And there's a great comfort in these words because Paul says that God begins this work in us through the gospel and he will carry it on through to completion. In chapter 2, 12 to 13, Paul says that as we get on with the Christian life in faith and obedience, it's God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, our partnership with God in the gospel is dependent on God. It's all um, God's work in us all the way. Well, in chapter 4, just flip back there, Paul says that right from the start, right from the get-go, these wonderful Philippians partnered with him by supporting his ministry through giving. And it was not just while he was working with them in their church. Now, just verses 15, 16 tell us that it continued after he left Macedonia and went down the road to Thessalonica. 
Verse 16 says, For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my needs again and again. And now, at the time of the writing of this letter, a dozen years later or so, Paul's in prison, Epaphroditus turns up out of nowhere. He had travelled all the way from Philippi to Rome with more support. I suppose it was money, food, medical supplies, blankets. In those days, people outside the prison supplied the needs of those inside the prison. Prisoners depended on it. Well, this fledgling church of young believers had carried on that gospel partnership of giving and receiving so that Paul could continue the work of the gospel of grace, even while he was in prison. It's a partnership of giving and receiving. It began with God's great gift. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We receive that gift and it begins good work in us that then looks for opportunity to give of this gospel of grace. Because now we have God's spirit at work in us. Now, can I say with all seriousness and humility that to any anyone who doesn't give, any person who says they're a Christian and doesn't give to gospel ministry, please, in all seriousness, examine your heart to see whether God's grace is truly at work in your life. Examine yourself to see if you are truly a Christian, if Jesus is truly your Lord and Saviour. But can I say that just as Paul gave thanks for the Philippians and rejoiced in them, so I've got to say I rejoice. I'm so thankful for all those in our church who have entered this gospel partnership of giving here at OEC. Our ministry staff, the missionaries we support, the building that's begun, the ministry that's happened over 25 years. Um, all this is because of people in the past and people now, the gospel partnership. None of this is ever an end in itself. It's, it's all meant to strengthen and grow the ministry of the gospel, as we say, in Orange and beyond. We must all give thanks to God for the work that he's begun in us and is carrying on in and through us. Well, the second thing that comes out of this passage about Christian giving is the paradox of Christian giving. A paradox is something which seems contradictory, but when it's examined, it's actually true. Apparently, the philosopher Socrates said once, one thing I know, and that is that I know nothing. Well, that's really deep, Socrates, but it's used as, a, as an example of a paradox. There are some paradoxes to Christian giving. First is that giving is actually receiving. So back in chapter 4, Look at verse 17. Paul says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. So while Paul is thankful for their support, he says that what really excites him is how good it is for them to give. He says that their giving to him is actually profit that is increasing to their eternal account. See, Paul's not, about, not on about his own personal account balance, his own welfare. He has no ambition when it comes to worldly wealth. Uh, back in verse 11 to 13, he explained that 
he's learned to be content in whatever situation he finds himself, whether he be in plenty or in want. He knows God's faithfulness and God's provision, and so he has learned how to face hunger and plenty, trusting in God who strengthens him. We see very different things happening now, don't we? A few years ago, an American television evangelist had a giving campaign because he needed a needed $60 million to buy a new Gulfstream jet. Apparently the old one uh, was getting a bit below par. It was an extraordinary campaign that made it into the major headlines. It was so, I don't know, materialistic. Well, that's not Paul, and it must never be us. Paul's interest is, is not so much in the bag of goodies that Epaphroditus had bought with him, but the wealth of grace and gospel-heartedness that made that bag of goodies possible. Paul uses words from the business world to describe what's happening as they give. He says, I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. They're terms from the, the world of finance, but the principle he's describing here is literally out of this world. See, while there may be some uh, present blessing from our giving here and now, the emphasis here is about the future. One of Paul's big themes in this letter is to live now, live as worthy citizens of heaven for the future. 3 verse 20 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus. Last year, you might remember, we looked at the idea of being good stewards. We looked at some of the parables Jesus told about the good steward or the good servant who faithfully serves um, for the sake of their master while their master is absent. Well, the master notices their devoted service, and so when he returns, he rewards them. Well done, good and faithful servant. He says, you've been faithful with little. Now I will give you much. Do you see the paradox? When we give, Paul says God is crediting our heavenly account. That in the future, we will receive God's thanks and God's rewards. Those who give in partnership of the gospel are at the same time receiving something that is not yet seen, but actually far more valuable. Um, it's only when we remember our citizenship in heaven that we give our money away now. And it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If I know that the purpose and the fulfilment of my life's personal investment is immaterial, it's not here and now, that is stored up in heaven, then that's what I'll invest in. I'll, I'll invest in gospel partnership. Towards the end of his life, Martin Luther said, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that I still possess. But there's another paradox of Christian giving here, I think. It is that my giving to ministry is actually a gift to God. And that's because we are involved in a partnership with God. Look at verse 18. Paul says, But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul's saying, yes, the Philippians have given 
to me. His, his name's on the bank check. He's eating the puddings, warming himself with the blankets they sent him. But he says, what they have actually done is they've given to God. Their gift to Paul, Paul says, is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul's actually bringing to mind the language of the Old Testament. When sacrifices were made to God, it says the aroma of them pleased God. I take it they pleased God because it reminded him of his grace and his eternal plans of salvation for fallen humanity. But I don't know. Maybe it's just that God likes a good barbecue. But in the New Testament, we no longer sacrifice animals. There's been one sacrifice for all, Jesus. Uh, But in Hebrews 12, we give God the sacrifice of our praise. In Romans 12, we are to give our lives as a living sacrifice. But here in Philippians 4, our money given to the gospel work, money given in gospel partnership is a sacrifice to God. And Paul says that it pleases him. And you can imagine why. I take it because giving our money is a real and sacrificial demonstration that God's grace is at work in us. Wow, God says, these people really get it. They're giving because they understand the great cost of their salvation. They're giving to the ministry of the gospel because they want others to be saved like them. They're investing in the kingdom of God because the focus of their lives is actually heaven. Wow, this is so pleasing. It is paradoxical, isn't it? When I give to the gospel work of my church or to my missionary friends, I'm actually giving to God. So see, it's not about me and what I get out of it. No, it's about God's gospel mission and what he can and will grow out of it. Well, the third thing for us here is also a little bit paradoxical, I think. And it is God's provision for Christian giving. Look at verse 19. It's a verse you'll probably have heard. It says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now this is one of those verses that gets picked up and quoted off the cuff. If someone ever said it to you, don't worry Bruce, Um, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. But I wonder, did you notice what I just did? I just changed the meaning of those words because I dropped off the end at the beginning of them and I dropped off the words at the end of them which are in Christ Jesus. And connects it to verse 18 and the words in Christ Jesus remind us that whatever God supplies for us in this life, we will never be removed from suffering for the gospel. Paul says to Timothy, Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, verse 19 cannot be removed from its context or detached from verse 18 and still make sense. Verse 18 says, I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs not wealth or excess, but needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? This is a promise made to believers who are givers. Paul is saying, you are supplying my needs and God will supply your needs. He's in partnership with you. 
The real-life context for this letter was poverty and imprisonment. Paul was in prison, and the Philippians, according to 2 Corinthians, were in extreme poverty. They were poor, not rich, not wealthy. Paul is saying, I'm overwhelmed by your gift to me, your support of me, but it pleases God, and he is faithful. He will supply your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That is very reassuring. God is not broke. God is not locked down by COVID-19. This brings to mind um, Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all these other things. What other things? Well, he's talking about food and clothes. Needs will be given to you. You see, Paul is encouraging them to keep on in the gospel partnership of giving despite their poverty. Why? Well, because God will supply their needs. You see, God had begun this good work in them and he would continue it. The work of God's gospel must go on till the end of the age and God will supply the needs of all his people who are committed to that cause by giving to support gospel ministry. It's another paradox, isn't it, of Christian giving? We give what God in his goodness and providence has supplied to us. This is an encouraging word for us in our context, I think, because of the uncertainty we face as we look into next year. Last Tuesday night, uh, Josh Frydenberg, the treasurer, gave us his budget to get us through the effects of COVID, the COVID pandemic in 2021 and we should be very thankful for our government's initiatives but that cloud of uncertainty hangs over us doesn't it and it hangs over us as we plan our giving for church for next year so as you think this through over the next couple of weeks next four weeks i want to encourage you with the example of the poor believers in philippi and god's uh, promise to provide for those who are partners with him in Christian giving. Every one of us who is a believer in Jesus is a partner of grace. Uh, we're in a partnership of receiving and giving. But as we give, God is storing up riches for us in heaven and God promises to provide for our needs as we give. It's all of grace, isn't it? Well, I want to close with uh, verses 20 and 23 from their passage. It says, To God, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen.